Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who wants to say, Happy Valentine's Week! We put a little extra love into this week's character. As he deserves. And I'm Bravada, the girl who... I feel like... Something broke in me writing this script. I worked so hard, and I still don't feel like I I did it justice. But I try my hardest every time. I hope you all like it. There's so much to discuss. I feel like in the wrap-up, it's going to be a lot about this one, too. Yes. (laughs) So... If you're new here, welcome to the beautiful chaos, but you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two or more characters using specific in-game dialogue. So if you want to stay spoiler free, then this is not the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert, N7. And just like with all of our previous episodes, we'll assume that you have some background knowledge of the game and character in question, but we will be providing context for those of you who may be unfamiliar. Before we get into it, though, we need to give you a big content warning. This episode will be heavier than most because this character's story primarily deals with the cycle of abuse and trauma. So if you might be triggered by discussions about physical, mental, emotional, and especially sexual abuse, please skip this episode. This is also going to be another sex-heavy episode. I have a lot to say about the scenes that are so expertly choreographed. So expect both the fun and the unfortunately horrendous. Yeah, it's a lot. Today, we are still in Faerun, specifically the city of Baldur's Gate. Night has fallen, and it's time to hunt. You stalk the streets in search of victims, visiting taverns and brothels for pretty faces amongst the crowds that seem just loose enough to exploit. Your body is not your own. Every action you've taken for the last 200 years is at the behest of your cruel master. Your thoughts remain yours, however, and as the years have slowly passed, your true self becomes buried under years of torment. Years of utter shit. Who are you anymore? 
Were you once someone else? Someone nice? Are you anything other than what you have done in service to your master? If you haven't guessed, you're Astarian and Cunin from Baldur's Gate 3. People think the biggest threat to a vampire is a cleric with a stick. It's not. The biggest threat to a vampire is another vampire. They're scheming, paranoid, power-hungry beasts. So why would any vampire give up control over a spawn to create a competitor? Trust me, it doesn't happen. Starion was once a young magistrate in Baldur's Gate, until one day he was attacked and left for dead by a band of Gurs, G-U-R-S, who did not like a ruling that he had handed down. Astarion was allegedly 39 years old when this happened, exceedingly young for a high elf, and this was taken from a translation on his gravestone later on in the game. As he felt the life leaving his body, he saw Kazador Zar. He seemed like salvation. Kazador offered him a sort of life. Become a vampire spawn. Survive and feed. What choice is there when death has its grip in you? From that moment on, fear ruled Astarion almost as much as Kazador did. Becoming a vampire spawn was not a gift, but a curse. As his vampire master, Kazador held complete control over his spawn, able to puppet their bodies and use them how he saw fit. And how he saw fit was complete and utter shit. Astarian, alongside his fellow spawn siblings, was tortured and abused for two centuries. Vampires need blood, but they won't die without it. And one of Cazador's rules for his spawn was to, quote, never drink the blood of thinking creatures. Astarian was forced to subsist on rats and bugs, and was sent out into the night of Baldur's Gate to seduce and lure back victims for Cazador. Cazador selected his spawn well. He had chosen only the prettiest and most alluring to become his spawn. He wielded Astarian's body like a tool, forcing him to do whatever it took to bring back victims. Astarian believed that Cazador was merely feeding on them. But the truth is much more complicated. Astarian has only been able to break free of Cazador's control because of the Mind Flayer tadpole in his head. Getting kidnapped aboard the Nautiloid was literally the best thing that's happened to him since he became a spawn. And not only does he have the freedom to choose for himself now, but he also is free of the common weaknesses of a vampire. He can go out in the sun, he can cross running water, and he can enter people's homes without an invitation. Unlike the other companions whose powers and abilities are hampered or weakened by the tadpole, Astarion is strengthened by it. And that isn't a testament to Astarion, but rather a sign of just how dire and morbid his life pre-tadpole was. 
When you first meet him at the site of the Nautiloid crash, he is an old dog with one new trick. Being able to hide his vampirism. Kind of. I don't know about you guys, but I saw his red eyes and fangs immediately. Not to mention the bite marks on his neck. But your player character and the other companions allegedly don't know he's a vampire until he's ready to tell you. That is, he tries to bite you. Remember Cazador's rule about no-thinking creatures? Well, Astarian doesn't have to follow that rule anymore. This can go a number of ways, one of which ends with him draining you to death. But good thing you have Revivify, right? (laughs) But if you hope to romance him as we do, you should let him drink at least once. This audio is what happens if you succeed a dice roll and manage to stop him before he goes too far. (sighs) That... That was amazing. My mind is finally clear. I feel strong. I feel happy. Now, if you'll excuse me, you're invigorating, but I need something more filling. This is a gift, you know. I won't forget it. You watch as he stalks towards the forest, stronger, more confident, ready to hunt. After this, he also promises to only drain your enemies, which is an easy way to say he gets his happy status without becoming bloodless yourself. Oh, but gameplay hint. A cleric with lesser restoration can get rid of that pesky negative effect for you. It's quite simple. It's also genuinely a point in favor of Astarion's character that he still chose to drink the blood of only animals even before confessing his true nature, rather than going off on a secret murder spree. Offering your blood is a gift. It is an objectively stupid thing to trust him in the beginning, when you woke up to him with his fangs angling straight for your neck. But in the end, he asks, and you consent. He will never try to take from you again. To be a victim of the types of abuse that Astarian has suffered is to be forced into a role you never wanted to play. You become someone else when you are abused. You exist solely to survive. Much like a frightened rabbit caught in a trap, you look for any way out, even if it means chewing off your own leg. You do things you wouldn't do otherwise, and it takes a special person to be able to see through that. To offer trust when it seems the worst moment to do so, that just might be the first spark in a flame that brings someone back to life. While Astarian mirrors many real-world trauma responses and traits, he is also a vampire spawn. He is a predator. He is a threat. He is also not seen as a person Rather, an unperson with no legal rights, with no repercussions, should someone randomly murder him in Faerun. And also, according to D&D lore, neutral evil. So, keep that in mind. The beautiful and terrible thing about Astarian's journey through the game is that his character development can end in one of two majorly different ways. 
in much more extreme ways than the other companions, aside from Gale. Gale is Astarian's foil, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. First, let's discuss Astarian's place in the cycle of abuse he was forcibly brought into. Astarian had an intricate scar forcibly etched into his back, as did every other spawn Cazador created. You see, when Cazador was himself just a spawn, he sought to break free from his abusive master, too. Velioth created Cazador and inflicted horrendous torture on him whenever he would rebel. Until Cazador killed him in the rite of perfect slaughter. According to a scroll detailing the past few vampire lords in Baldur's Gate, that you can find in Cazador's dungeon in Act 3, Cazador has held power for far longer than the past five vampire lords did at 216 years. Cazador made Astarian a spawn about 20 years after he became a vampire lord, so he is one of the first spawns that Cazador created. Cazador also tortures and abuses him more than his spawn brothers and sisters because, according to him, Astarian's screams sound the sweetest. He has perpetuated the cycle of abuse handed from vampire lord to vampire spawn since time immemorial. Astarian's story throughout all three acts revolves around this cycle of abuse and the various prices of freedom. For much of the game, and his personal quest, the Pale Elf, he believes freedom only comes to those with enough power to take it. His newfound freedom through the tadpole has made him a bit reckless and a lot hedonistic. The only other person with a similar zeal for their current predicament is Karlak, someone else who also is now free of a captor due to being tadpoled. But Astarian isn't content with just his freedom. That's just the first step. He doesn't mistake his current situation with safety, but merely an opportunity. He believes that power is the only thing that stands between him being victimized again and perpetual safety. Only the strong can ensure their place in the world. That people with power can do whatever they want. If you suggest to him that having power does not make you free of consequences, that the strong have a duty to protect the weak, he will say this. Let them. Heroes are half the damn problem. Fools that believe in right and wrong, good and evil. Heroes didn't save me from Cazador. Mind flares did. They gave me a gift. The strength to take my own freedom. I'm embracing this power. You should too. It is very important to remember that everyone's behavior makes sense to them. That no one does something without a reason. Starion is selfish. He is cruel. And you can earn his approval with displays of power and choices that support independence and autonomy. He disapproves of displays of weakness and does not like it when you perform acts of kindness or charity that offer no reward. Many people often say that you need to be evil to earn his approval. But that simply isn't true. 
His life at the abuse of the hands of Cazador has left him numb to the plight of the others around him. He is angry at the world and the so-called heroes and gods who never answered his prayers for safety. He will even resent becoming a heroic figure, at first at least. Because why should anyone get what he didn't? Doesn't he deserve saving? If he does, why didn't anyone save him? He is who he is when you meet him in Act 1, because of a mixture of who he was before Casador and what he became to survive Casador. He doesn't like who he is, who he has to be, under Casador's rule. It's why he's so incredibly desperate to never go back. He doesn't want to be a mind flayer either, so he's also one of the only companions who is all for making a deal with the devil Raphael, or the Cambian if we're splitting hairs. Better the devil you know, right? Anything is better than Casador. I'm just saying, there's an opportunity before us. If we can control the tadpoles, we can keep ourselves safe and enjoy a little world domination on the side. <laughs> you can't tell me that doesn't sound fun. That little giggle. I'm glad we got one of his giggles in here. Yes, so obviously, you can't tell him that doesn't sound fun. It does sound a little fun. Because the only thing that matters to him is ensuring his safety, he doesn't much care if you kill or save the tieflings in Act 1. He will stay by you through evil and good playthroughs alike. As far as character progression goes, the most satisfying and beneficial ending for Astarian is, of course, the good ending, but we'll get there. For now, we're trying to romance him. Larian released some stats a few months ago that said Astarian turned down most players who propositioned him. That's funny. But in all of my playthroughs, he's propositioned me. Haha, <laughs> I'm special. <laughs> I kind of think you have to let him come to you. He can actually offer you a night of passion well before the night of the party in your camp, too. If you've earned enough approval. What do any of us want? Pleasure. Yours. Mine. Our collective ecstasy. That's what you want, isn't it? To lose yourself in me. He knows exactly what he's doing. Trained in the art of seduction, Astaria knows precisely what buttons to hit. I also appreciate that smaller details can change based on your physical form. A small body tab will be lifted off of the ground, and our vampirically enhanced elf will carry us with ease. I swear, the trees in Faerun see more action than anyone in this game. Kissing you and nuzzling against you while holding you up against that tree, you turn the tables and take him to the ground. You straddle him until he rolls you over, and now that you are under him, he drinks you in deep. For a large body tav, you get to lift Astarion into the air, and I, for one, loved carrying him towards that tree. And when he gracefully took me to the ground, I was all more than willing. 
I love how the scenes change depending on what body type you chose. But uh, anyway, you only get three opportunities in the whole game to ask what Astarian wants. And that audio clip that we just played was the first time. This can be your romance scene at the party, or it could happen beforehand, like I said. Astarian is used to using his body to get people to trust him. It's the only way he knows how to move through the world. How better to ensure protection than by endearing himself to you? Some people might look at this as false, like he's lying to you and he's evil because of it. He is lying to you. It is a betrayal. And I also cannot blame him. If you've never been in a position where you knew only shame and fear, you cannot understand what it takes to stay alive. You're lucky. I don't always think of a song or a poem that reminds me of a character, but I did this week. And no, it's not Sleep Token. TikTok. It's the song Hello by Evanescence, one of my favorites since I was a young emo lass. Specifically, the words in the song, quote, don't try to fix me. I'm not broken. Hello, I'm the lie living for you so you can hide. And at the end of the song, suddenly I know I'm not sleeping. Hello, I'm still here. All that's left of yesterday. Right now, a star and the lover bringer of carnal pleasure is the lie all it takes is him is all it takes is treating him like a person for him to know he's not sleeping this is similar to gail whose romance we'll be discussing very soon and like we said is astarian's foil whereas astarian comes across as a flamboyantly fake and confident gail seems kind and genuine but as you get to know them you learn that they both have these masks, the lies, to cover up their lack of self-esteem and confidence, their fear. Gail was groomed to be mistress chosen as a child and eventually became her lover, forced to be as fantastic and magical as possible in the hopes of earning her approval and love through grander and grander means, all while she showed him the most minimal of praise and affection, if affection is something a goddess can actually feel. Meanwhile, Astarian did everything possible to avoid Cazador's attention, and yet was special, due to the joy that it brought Cazador to torture him. Astarian seeks vengeance, and Gale seeks forgiveness and both will desire the power their respective abusers hold. Both will be faced with their imminent deaths at the hands of their former controllers. Gale, being asked by Mistra to blow himself up using the Netherese orb, and Astarion being forcibly killed per the rite of profane ascension. Their romances both have endings where they lean into the lessons they learned from their toxic masters, or where they get to love as the true versions of themselves. Before we get into the actual romance, the true feelings and the two very different and hotly contested endings for Astarion, we need to take a mid-break. So let's listen to some fun facts, hear some sponsors from the show, and thank our lovely, lovely patrons. It's, it's got to be like some form of ballroom dance with the Starion, right? 
Very nice old magister mm-hmm. style. I mean, I could see Neil not new on twerking just for the fun of it, but I can't <laughs> see a historian doing it. I really want to see Neil Nubon twerking now. Yes. Yes. We need to make this happen. I don't know how, but we need to make it happen. Starion is performed by Neil Nubon. He also played Kyle Carl Heisenberg in Resident Evil Village and Elijah Kamaski. Kamski? <laughs> and Gavin Reed. What is happening? I don't know. None of, I haven't played a single one of these games, oh. so I don't know any of these people. Kamski is where I, I learned him. of Neil Nubon. Mm. He's a good character. Mm-hmm. He's not a good character, but Neil did great, as usual. Mm. Fair. Uh, so that was from Detroit Become Human, um, and is also in a ton of other things. Uh that fucking Kia commercial. Are you kidding me? He went so hard for no apparent reason. Y'all do yourself a favor and Google Neil Nubon Kia commercial and just enjoy. He also has a twin brother named Lawrence because the coolest people are twins. That's why you wanted me to read that one. <laughs> what? Oh my goodness. Thanks. For those of you who don't know, I am a twin. Also, yeah. we're super cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Neil, getting back to him, is an adept martial artist in many practices and is also a stunt coordinator, mocap actor, alongside being an incredible voiceover artist. All hail. You are amazing. Yeah. Every award he's won for Astarian is extremely well-deserved. So the next fact is cute, but no longer in the game. Prior to, I think, patch two, Astarian's clothing used to contain a description that said he had embroidered this into his clothes. Quote, Lamentable is the autumn picker content with plums. Um, It was allegedly a part of a poem in the game. So plums are typically at peak season in summertime, for those of you not in the know. And many on the internet seem to think that this little excerpt from the poem means that it's a sad thing to settle for leftovers, or to settle for something that's not as good as it can be. Personally, I tend to think that this is supposed to mean that you shouldn't wait to take what you want to not let the peak time for what you want pass you by and have some shadow of what could have been instead. In any case, he still has a lot of sewing skills because he still has like patched his clothes and he's sewn something into his underwear that's cheeky. Um, So it's it's just a thing that Astarian does, I guess. It's really cute. Neil Nubon has said in interviews that one of the inspirations for Astarian's character is the classic character archetype known as the Harlequin from the Italian Commedia dell'arte, which is Italian improvisational theater. The Harlequin is known by his amorous traits, which often led him into sticky situations that he extricated himself with style. He was amoral without being vicious. Definitely see the inspiration both in Astarion's default outfit and in his mannerisms, but he's super vicious. And about where he got his viciousness, <laughs> Neil has also said that he partly based Astarion on a community cat, aka a feral cat, 
that lives in his neighborhood and I guess has lived there for a while. And he said it took him three years to build up the relationship enough so that the cat wouldn't attack him when he approached, which let me move my cat for a second. Um, As someone who's worked in a few animal shelters, I've fostered so many kittens and I've cared for a lot of community cats. So when he talked about that and how he had the patience to earn the trust of this cat just makes me happy. Like, I, I think you have to be a good person to like cats, honestly. Right. A trope used for Astarian, and perhaps subvert, subverted in the end, is called White Hair, Black Heart. A male character with white or silver hair, especially if they are visibly too young for that hair color, and have a handsome and effeminate face, are usually villains, or at the very least, not trustworthy characters, frequently coupled with red eyes and a dark outfit for contrast. See Fenris from Dragon Age 2, Sephiroth from Final Fantasy 7, and Loth Sworn Drow, Shishomaru? I have no idea. It's Shishomaru from Inuyasha? What? Oh, one of my first crushes in anime. I was a Naruto girl, not Inuyasha. I was not a Naruto person. Sorry. <laughs> uh, see also... Lucius Malfoy, and Draco by extension, from Harry Potter. The list goes on and on. White hair means bad guy. But not always, because Geralt. Geralt is a subversion. But then again, Geralt can totally be a dick and just straight up murderize whoever the fuck he feels like. So maybe also a little borderline. Spotify! Thank you. We are still at 177 ratings, which is pretty damn good. Like, I'm happy. But I would be so much happier if we got all the way to 200. And of course, at the middle of the show, we shout out our lovely, lovely patrons. Big love. Major hearts. All the thank yous to Toasty and Apollo. Becky and Daddy Batnight. Mystios and Muffiny Cake, Mackenzie and Wynn. Love you. Love you so much, almost as much as a Starian. <laughs> anyway, Jen, are you ready? Because this is when the shit gets really real. This is, this is it yeah i know i think i'm ready do you have a moment i I think we need to talk look i had a plan a nice simple plan seduce you sleep with you manipulate your feelings so you'd never turn on me it was easy instinctive Habits from 200 years of charming people kicked in. All you had to do was fall for it. And all I had to do was not fall for you. Which is where my nice, simple plan fell apart. You're... You're incredible. You deserve something real. To be something real. 
normally after the mid-break, we go right into a romance scene. And we did. And this is where the lies stop. We actually get to enter the romance. This is when Astarian finally feels safe enough to show his hand, as it were. To expose himself and be vulnerable. To be vulnerable was to be punished before, while I was still under Castor's control. Astarion's spirit isn't so easily broken, however. How many could say they wouldn't be under his circumstances? And yet, he is willing to open up and offer himself for real this time, hoping that you won't hurt him. Might have been stupid for you to trust him with a bite, but now he's trusting you. When all he's learned about trust so far is that it costs him. Part of him opening up in the same conversation, in this confession. Being close to someone, any kind of intimacy, was something I performed to lure people back for him. Even though I know things between us are different, being with someone still feels tainted. Still brings up those feelings of disgust and loathing. I don't know how else to be with someone. No matter how much I'd like to. You, you're full of surprises, aren't you? Honestly, I have no idea what we're doing or what comes next. But I know that this, this is nice. Oh my gosh, this is so nice. <sighs> so, for context, before he says that you're full of surprises, you can give him a hug. Let him into your mind to feel what you're feeling. Or reassure him that you can be with him without sex. You can also tell him that maybe he needs a friend more than a lover, which I absolutely adore as an option, and his very precious response to that choice. But you cannot be in a romantic relationship with him after this. It's effectively a friend zone, for lack of a better term. You can also ask him what he wants the second time, which he answers that he doesn't know. You can also pressure him for sex here, which is what sick, awful people do. And he will oblige, and then wake you up in the night and break up with you. Because he's finally learned how to say no. That he can say no. He is learning his value slowly but surely. Obviously, we will not be picking this option. But some people take this dialogue here the one about not being sure if he ever wants to have sex again, as a sign that you shouldn't have sex with him ever again in the game, or that perhaps even he's asexual. While I think you can headcanon whatever you want, and representation for that is valid, and possible in this romance as well, I don't see that as being the case at all canonically. As someone with her own history of sexual abuse, I know exactly what that is to associate sex with feelings of shame and self-loathing, to not want it, maybe you never have it again, or 
maybe you find someone that you eventually feel safe enough with. You can reclaim it. I think the dialogue choice of giving him the space and waiting for him to be ready, if he's ever ready, is totally valid too. As someone who's also been in the same shoes, sex is, once it becomes your own choice again, that's when it becomes real. So yeah, staying in a romance with him means that you are now waiting for him to be ready again for physical intimacy with the knowledge that he may never be ready. And that is why I personally like that we can be romantically involved with Astarian and physically involved with Halson. If Astarian is good with me enjoying the freedom of nature's gifts, who am I to deny my own urges? This becomes an option later on in Act 2 going into Act 3, once Halson is a full party member and you've lifted the shadow curse. When Halson approaches you with the offer of sex, it is with the stipulation that you first get permission from whoever you are currently in a relationship with. Like we said before, not everyone is on board with this, but Starian is. He will laugh and joke about how he wondered when you'd be asking him, but he will also be somewhat anxious and check in. It's not because you haven't had sex with him in a while, is it? And you can reassure him here. And then you are free and clear to climb Mount Halson. Yes, which you can. And there's nothing wrong with that. No judgment at all. But I personally never choose that option whilst I'm romancing a starian Because for one thing, sex isn't that important to me that I need it on its own, like without an attachment demisexual and all that but two i can't bear the thought of a starian thinking he's not enough like games mechanics wise you're free to be with halson with no consequences to your relationship status with starian but that dialogue of him worrying it's because you haven't been together physically in some time is just distressing to be he's only known sex and relationships as weapons for 200 years only experienced people using him for his body and that the thought of him thinking even for a second that someone wouldn't want him without sex hurts my heart. So that's why I wouldn't do it, because I, you know, overthink things. <laughs> but it's not bad to make that choice. But it's like, it's, it's the whole fact that I'm saying, I don't want you for just your body. I literally yeah. am in love with you, and I want to be with you. But you just as you have the same level of urges that you have to go and drink blood for me it's a physical need mm -hmm. and so i and so yeah. that's why he he makes a joke about who am i to deny your urges yeah yeah no i think that gave you the option for you to role play and for me because i am who i am i don't want it because of everything i just said but it's like i said you don't get punished it's not a judgment a starian's not judging you either way i just I got so sad when he said that. So I was like, never in my entire life or the life after would I ever do that to you. But yeah. So that's why I wouldn't do it. Like I said, it's not bad to make that choice at all. The choice is there for players who want sex and love from two different people. That isn't to say that you can never have sex with a starian again, because you can after defeating Kazador. And we don't have any audio from that whole confrontation with Kazador because... It's just so hard. Like, 
We already have enough trigger warnings for this episode. We don't need to listen to him confronting and ultimately killing his abuser. But that quest is extremely important for Astarian's character progression. Will you help him take the power and ascend, killing 7,000 hungry spawn, many of which are people Astarian brought back to Kazador? Or will you push him to break the cycle? Astarian is forced to face his part in the cycle of abuse here. Of course, Astarian was under Kazador's total control. So how much blame should be laid at his feet? Does it matter to the people who were turned and then left to rot in cages? Their only purpose was to die in order to ascend Kazador. Or maybe Astarian. He hates to face the sins of his past. The very real adults and a few Gur children he either lured or kidnapped to bring back to his master. The impact is the same whether Astarian wanted to do it or not. His face is the only one that they have nightmares about. Part of his story is not just coming to terms with his own abuse, but with the pain that he has inflicted on others. What can make it right? His instinct is to say power yet again, to ascend give these miserable and pathetic souls a final purpose to their suffering and allow at least one of them to never be a victim again. That's how it works, right? So crazy what kind of logic you can convince yourself of when you're thinking in terms of survival. This rite of profane ascension is what's known as a Faustian bargain. This is a pact in which a person trades something of supreme moral or spiritual importance, like their soul, for some worldly or material benefit, such as power. This comes from the legend of Faust, a character in German folklore who sold his soul to an evil spirit, usually Mephistopheles, a representative of Satan, in exchange for powers and knowledge that allow him access to all the world's pleasures this isn't just a magical deal. It's a deal with a devil, one in which the bargainer surrenders something that is ultimately far more valuable than whatever was given in exchange. They are a tragic and self-defeating business. Astarian might be more than willing to give up his body for power. He's given it up for far less. But his soul? He hasn't thought it through. He's still thinking in terms of survival. While you're doing this quest, he literally has a curse on him called Curse of the Sired, which gives him disadvantage on all saving throws. I don't know if I've ever noticed that. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. If you highlight it, it says like, oh, it's what happens when you're in a, tra a place of trauma, like when you're remembering your trauma. Holy <laughs> shit. Okay. Um, I mean, I noticed it when we were in Shadow Hearts missions. Um... In the temple of what? Uh, the Gauntlet of the, Char? Not the Gauntlet of Char, but um, the secondary one. Um, when you go to fight oh, uh, Viconia, no, the Viconia stuff. Oh, if House she, of grief. yeah, in the House of Grief, if you go with the Salunites, Shadow Heart has a debuff on her. So interesting. Wow. Okay, I'm gonna have to like. 
on this current playthrough, every time I'm going through a personal quest, I'm going to see if any of the statuses change. Interesting. I'm on my fifth fucking playthrough, and there are still things about this game that I am finding out. Have you ever met the fish people in the Underdark? Yeah. Because I I've... keep forgetting to go get them. <laughs> <laughs> the dagger of Boo-Ah. 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 I would have loved to meet them as the Dark Urge that I'm playing right now. <laughs> oh my god. Amazing. I wonder if it changes it. Oh, I don't know. Anyways, it's also interesting to note that Cazador made his deal to invoke the rite of profane ascension with the archdevil Mephistopheles. So, fun little crossover there. Also, a vampire ascendant is not the same thing as a vampire lord, but Cazador currently is. Otherwise, why would Cazador want it? Also, I just realized that I had unique dialogue regarding Mephistopheles because my tiefling was a bloodborne of Mephistopheles. So I got a little bit of extra dialogue during this stuff, too. Now, every weakness a vampire lord has is stripped away, leaving only the strengths, leaving only the devastation that is the perfect predator. If Astarion is helped, and he ascends, every one of those 7,000 souls waiting in the cages in the dungeons is sacrificed for his gain. Cazador's included. It's interesting how ready Astarion is to snatch the ascension away from Cazador, but how he balked at possessing the astral-touched tadpole. If you offer it to him, he will say, I had nothing for so long. Nothing. Not even my own body. I will not give it up now that it is mine again. Which is what he would essentially do, ascending. But, you know, he's not thinking in his right mind while he's there. Also, um, I'm my current playthrough, I am a dark urge romancing Astarian because I can't stop. And not going, oh. not feeding into any urge. Yeah, I'm resisting because I don't want to. We'll talk about the pros and cons of an evil playthrough later, which mostly there's just cons for me. But anyway, a unique and altogether beautiful experience I just had with Astarian was in my Dark Urge playthrough. While it is a rewarding and intense experience befriending or even romancing Astarian as a Tav or origin character... It's totally changed for me with a resisting Dark Urge character. Now these are two people who have both committed atrocities at the behest of their evil overlords fighting to regain their personal agency. Astarian becomes like a gentle caregiver throughout the night when the Dark Urge was being told to kill him. How someone carries themselves after a traumatic experience, how they treat people regardless of their personal pain, is a testament to their personal heroism. Astarian might not be totally for being the hero, but he can be our hero. At least, he is, before Ascending. Before we go into how he changes post-Ascension, because that's going to take a while, should you choose that path, let's talk about the romance scene post-Casador with an Astarian who did not ascend. The graveyard is appropriately silent. There isn't a proverbial soul around. Nearly 200 years, and I never came back. Not since the night I woke up down there. 
I had to punch a hole in the coffin and claw my way through six feet of dirt. Then when I finally broke the surface, retching up dirt and congealed blood, Cazador was waiting. From that day on, I was his. Until today. There's almost nothing left of the person I was. Just a name on a rock. For nearly two centuries, I stalked the streets like a ghost. Well, the person I was lay here, dead and buried. Now I need to figure out who I am. What I want. You. I want. You. You were by my side through all of this. Through bloodlust and pain and misery. You were patient. You cared. You trusted me when that was an objectively stupid thing to do. I feel safe with you. Seen. And whatever the future holds for me, I don't want to lose that. I've been dead on the ground for long enough. It's time to try living again. With everything that life has to offer. If a night of passion is an offer, I could be persuaded. Being with you is about more than lust or manipulating you into a tactical alliance. I love you. I love this. And I want it all. Before I get into the physical aspect of this scene, I have to stop and talk about these lines. You were patient. You cared. I feel safe with you and seen. These are the most impactful words could ever be said. Those are words that are healing. Astarian recognizes his trauma, recognizes that he was hurt and broken and needed time to process and heal. And it was us, us who was there by his side, being patient, caring, being a safe haven and somewhere to be seen. I see you. I see you. Oh, but before I start crying, like actual legitimate fucking tears here, I need to get sexy with it. <laughs> oh. Okay, because this is your romance culmination scene in Act 3 with a non-ascended or a spawniston, a spawnist, like the vampire ascendant has a name. Um, but does spawnistarian have a name? The good one? Yeah, no. Oh, <laughs> a good ending. Yeah. The good one. Okay. All right. There is something about the physicality of this man that I really, really like. Because uh, I love him in stalker mode. Even when it's during the gameplay of it and you put him into the sneaky hidey, like, crouching I just love the physicality of it. So, after you've had your conversation with him, and he says that 
you know, if a night of passion is on the table, he'll take it. Holding back the tears legitimately made my throat close up. It's going to be a rough night, V. It's going to be a rough, rough night. Mm -hmm. I do. I love him in stalker mode. On the prowl mode. When you're sitting there together, he just does a light little shove on your shoulder to push you from sitting on your knees to lying on your back. And then he is crawling up your body until he's able to kiss you in such a delicious way. The kissing continues until the camera pans to another tree. Like I said before, the trees see everything. And with mods, so can you. Now, there's a mod called the Free Cam Mod. F-R-E-E-C-A-M. It only uses in-game files that were programmed in and are legitimate, but not used in the final cutscenes that are actually shown in the game. And while I would love to give a thorough breakdown of how even I inhaled a gasp at what the trees saw, I'll leave it up to you to do your own naughty research. Try a Starion free cam knee thing and just go from there. Kiss, kiss, darling. And happy hunting. <laughs> the thing that's funny is if you're on TikTok, you've been gnawing at the bars of your cage for months about the leg thing. Um, because there's, yeah, you're, you're all feral on there. And I see why. It was hot. Like, for the it whole... was. Everyone's talking about Senda Desarian being hot, but I'm like, have you guys seen the leg thing? <laughs> have you seen the way that he pushes his pelvis into you as he's coming up your body? Have you seen the way he looks at you like you were the only thing in the entire world and all the realms? I can't handle it. I also can't handle like, like I literally teared up hearing that audio clip because it's one thing to have all the visuals and all the stimuli of his beautiful face, his beautiful yet flawed face because of someone who is also pale as death with under eye bags because you can see my blood vessels through my skin. I love that they they have that on him. I know he's dead, but I'm not dead, I don't think. But it's good representation there for us pale folks. But also, like, the way he says those things to you, it's like, that is, that is the biggest gift you could give someone who's been through anything. I mean, none of us have been a vampire spawn tortured for 200 years, but many of us have had trauma in relationships. For some reason, the people who are supposed to love us usually hurt us the worst. And to find something like that after experiencing something like that is amazing. And hearing him say those words, it's like, I feel healed myself. Even though he's just a video game character, he's pixels on my screen, but it's such a gift to hear that. And this is also the scene where he can say, what he wants like you can ask him what he wants for the third time and he will say you he's finally figured out what he wants he's had the space to figure out what he wants you've given him that this is not a case where you fixed him he fixed himself and you were patient and waited while he did so 
it is beautiful to see. And I love it. I love that this is a possibility for him in the game because I won't choose anything else. When I look at my future, anything and everything feels possible now. And I get to share it with you as a partner and equal. You saved me from myself and let me walk a new path where I can be free. Truly, honestly, free. This is a gift, you know. Thank you. I won't forget it. Oh my god. <laughs> the way he says thank you. It's so good. Oh my god, I had too much wine. <laughs> but I wanted this clip because... It's a mirror of when you let him drink your blood the first time, where he said, this is a gift, you know. Thank you, I won't forget it. This is the full circle. He says it again, but in such a different way. And I also want to point out that he says you are equal here, equal partners, and that he's truly, honestly free. And I want you to pay attention to the way his voice sounds because it's going to sound very different in the next couple of audio clips, and there's a good reason for that. But I just love that this is one of his endings that he could have, that this is healing for me, for Astarian, for so many people who play this game. They can see themselves in him and feel like they fixed themselves a little bit too. You're going to make me cry. I can't right now. Okay. I think I have to get through the rest of this episode before I can can really get into my feelings on it. So I will share my thoughts about the difference between Ascended and Spawn. But in order to do what I have to do next, I can't be there. Because there is another option. There is another way for this story to end. If you choose to ascend with the profane ritual... You get a very different ending to this romance. You get different dialogue, different sex, different everything. So let's take a step back in time and carve out a pound of flesh from Casador. Let's make our bloody mark on the histories of not only Baldur's Gate, but of all of Faerun. Ascend, and then come with me, my love, and live your final night. Living your final night uh, truly alive with the vampire ascendant is a beautiful submission. We see Tav in all of their naked glory, and Astarion is walking up behind us. We can't see him yet. His scars are worn almost proudly on his back now. And with a level of confidence and a presence, a straight-back rigidity I hadn't seen up until this point. His hands are on your shoulders, and he sinks his fangs into you, as though it were just a gentle kiss to a lover. But then he pulls back allowing Tav to bend over the side of a bed. 
and with anticipation, your body easily allows him in. There's so much detail in this scene that you can see moving hips and reactive faces. Your body losing tension as you allow the sensation of penetration coming over you. Then the look. You look over your shoulder back at Astarian and I am unwell. Longingly staring up at him, he allows you to pull back and turn around. Now face to face, you crawl backwards. All the while, he's kissing you more and more ferociously. I love a good crawl. And this time, they do it together. Moving in a synchronous way to the top of the bed. But what I see next has forever been burned into the fibers of my core being. A solid seven seconds of sensuous hip thrusting strong enough to move my head even closer to the headboard while I trace the scars on his curving back. What I assume is several hours later, because the fire in the brazier has died out, we are told this. On your knees, darling. He will always see you as degrading yourself if you continue to be with him. But perhaps you wish to degrade yourself, and he knows it. Tonight, I shall drink every drop of your blood, own your body, kill your mind. It will only hurt a bit. The pleasure will be far greater than the pain. You have given me everything. Thank you. As he drinks more and more, you feel yourself fading from consciousness. When you wake again, you will be his forevermore. As you sink to your knees, and no matter your body size, he looks large and imposing over you. Another nudge, and you are on your back. Every time that I have replayed this scene, I have selected the dialogue option of, come on, let it hurt, the degrade me. The hurt me. The I choose you as my master in every sense of the word, darling. And for that version, it is a story in putting thumb and forefinger under your jaw and pressing your face up and away, the side of your neck bared and vulnerable to him. But when I replayed it again just a few days ago for research science, of course, I selected be gentle if you can. And if you ask him to be nice, he is. My angel with the scars of a devil bites your wrist 
while your hand rests on his cheek. Then he moves delicately to your throat to finish the creation of his most beloved consort. His response is no different either way. We have given everything he thinks he wants. In this scene, like I said, for the non-ascended path, that's where you could ask him for the third time what he wants. But in this scene with the ascended Astarian, he will say, that's what you want, isn't it? To be mine forever. He will turn it back around to what you want because he already has what he wanted or what he thought he wanted at the time. Too late now. You can ask him what he's learned from all this. And he asks you, what could he have possibly learned? You can say, quote, I hoped you learned to love me. He will reply, who's to say I don't? I'm willing to share all this with you. What's that, if not love? And that if you need something more, then perhaps this isn't for you. The relationship isn't for you. For me, it's pretty obvious. Ascended Astarian's love, quote-unquote, is conditional. That you become a vampire, and only on his terms. Love, on your end, means you must worship him. And freedom to him means power over all others. It feels so good. Freedom. True freedom. Finally. I can feel my strength growing. Every day that passes, I gain new abilities. You know, now that our enemies have fallen, I might be the most powerful person in the world. And as you're my consort, that makes us the most powerful people in the world. Yeah, so the last clip for non-ascended, he says, you know, we're equal partners. And in this one, he calls you his consort, which that word means the, the spouse of the ruling monarch. And usually they have some power of their own, but they're the spouse of the ruling monarch. You are not equal in this relationship. And maybe that's what you want. But I don't think it's honestly what's best for Astarian or what he really wanted either. Because when you compare how he reacts from non-ascended to ascended version of himself, he says, you saved me from myself in the non-ascended version. Because you did. That's what he thought he wanted because that's what he thought he needed was to get power, to kill Cazador, and to become the most powerful vampire in the world, the vampire ascendant. That, in his mind, was the only way he could ever be safe. That's not the only way he could be safe. That's just the way he thought he could be. I sometimes get quite frustrated when I see people defending their choice of choosing Ascended as if it's good for Astarian. It's not good for him. It's pretty clear. And if it's not clear yet, I mean, I've got more points to talk about. But I think they feel protective over their choice because it feels personal. Your choice, it's your RPG, right? That it might reflect your intentions regarding him. I think there's a very key difference between, like if you've noticed, the uh, ascended version of his sex scene is way more carnal, much more 
drawn out. There's a lot more clear sexual intercourse going on. It's not a fade to black the way the non-ascended scene is. And I think that's extremely intentional. I know it's extremely intentional because it's a video game. Everything was thought out and intentionally placed in the game. And the reason I say that is because when you ascend him, you have told him that, here, trade your body yet again. He thought he had to do that. It was a worthy trade to him at the time. And so in that aspect, you then see him only as his body, really. You're rewarded with this very sexual and very hot scene. But it's not love. It's not even portrayed as love. Even if he can be loving, it's not the same thing as being in love. He can be very sweet in the don't make it hurt dialogue option. But he's already proven in the game that he's very capable of faking what compassion and what love making is. But he never felt anything before. In fact, I think it's like impossible for him to feel at this point, according to D&D lore. I mean, Ascendant's kind of a different thing, but vampire lords don't have emotions. They have obsessions. They don't love. They obsess over someone. So for me, if you want a starian to end up as best as he can, if you want to stop the cycle of abuse, don't ascend him. If you want to have a really hot sex scene, and then, I mean, honestly, I don't recognize his voice. I don't recognize the way he acts. You can even say that to him in the game. It's like, you're not the person I fell in love with. They place those things there intentionally. It's not a punishment, but I did read an interview with some of the writers saying that when, when you do an evil playthrough, they want your game to feel emptier. They don't want to replace the deaths you caused with other content because they want you to feel that the world is emptier because you've taken more people out of it. So I think that's just another example of what they wanted to make you feel with Astarian. It's like, how many times does the game need to tell you that becoming a vampire ascendant is not good for him? And I love all of the thoughts that you, that you have put into this because I fully agree with you on all of your points. I wish that there were little bits and pieces that I could pull from the Ascended Vampire and put them into the Spawn Romance. Because Astarian's my new Jack. Astarian is the new one that I can see so much of the overtly flamboyant, of the hypersexualized as a shield and a weapon. You know what that's like. And so I see that. And the reason that on my first playthrough, I ascended him because I was like, maybe if you can take back the power through this means, then it will heal a part of you. Because on your first playthrough, you don't know what it's like until you've done it. And we didn't have an epilogue. And in my first playthrough, I didn't actually get to romance him. So a lot of that stuff, a lot of the extra details, a lot of the wording, I never got it. And so on my second playthrough, when I actually got to make my true canon decisions and updates had happened and patches had gone through to where now I got to see more of the content and it wasn't glitched out, I knew that what I had to do was the save file because I wanted to know what my ascended vampire was going to look like in the epilogue. 
I didn't have who he truly becomes afterwards yet. So on my second playthrough, I ascended him again. And I still thought the scene was great. The sex is amazing and it's totally for me. But who he becomes truly afterwards and who I became after, it's not real. It's not for me. So I went back 30, 40 hours in gameplay and I made a different choice. I kept him as he was. Killing Kazador was so satisfying. And then a whole bunch of other shit happens that I wasn't expecting at all. I can side with the Gurs and now they'll fight with me? Okay, that works. You know, and then a bunch of other little things. Honestly, if I had seen the hip and the knee in the non-ascended romance scene, fuck me, dude. I'm done. Like, that's enough for me. It's hot. He's still a starian. I think that's actually a problem I have with it, too, is while I see why they did that because of the whole ascended, like, there's this interview with the writer, with one of the writers saying that, like, they wanted you to kind of feel punished by choosing the ascended version because you're, quote, ultimately reducing your relationship with him back to being a kink slash form of gratification, which is a fine thing to enjoy as a fantasy, but it's very much admitting that you failed to think of him beyond a sex object. You're so attracted to him, you'd also turn yourself into a vampire. So there's there's what that writer said. I just wanted to say, I think they're applying, in the end, you can assume the morality thing again, where it's like the evil path has the hotter sex scene. So sex is still kind of like what bad people do, the Madonnaification thing. You're either a respectful, honorific virgin or you are a bad slut i've wanted to be a vampire since i was like 12 years old so the idea (laughs) of become like and that was also another thing it was like okay so in order for him to turn me into a vampire i have to go down this path okay i'm gonna go down that path i've literally been in the vampire fandom since i was a fucking child like yeah I want Do you want to read the Van Richten's Monster Hunters Compendium Volume 1 fact that I put in there? Mm, Might make no, you happy. I, because, guys, there's like another five pages of notes. And so I'm wondering, V, my darling, from which now that was forever going to be your nickname. Normally it's been Babe, but I think I'm going to switch you to Darling. Darling, we've been recording for over an hour and a half already. But then I think what we need to do is split this episode to where we can have all of our thoughts and feels about this romance specifically on its own separate episode. Because we need to talk more about it. There's some really toxic shit out there. And uh, while I can defend a lot of it to a lot of, like, can defend points, overall, going ascended means that you weren't really paying attention to him. You were only paying attention to what you wanted. I'm a selfish bitch, too. Like, trust me, I I played through it three times. Well, technically, even on my dirge, I did it because I turned everybody fucking evil. And that was just because I was doing a totally dark, evil playthrough. So I admit to the fact that I have ascended Astarion three times now. I'm evil. I accept this. But to say that, oh my god, it's the best way to romance him. Take a second look at yourself. That's really my ultimate thought on Ascended versus Non-Ascended is it is perfectly valid to play that in your game. 
it is to me mind boggling that anyone would look at that and think it is just as good that he is the same as Starion. He's not. He is a villainous caricature in the words of my best friend Eileen. It took all his negative traits and amplified them so much that is all he's left with. None of his redeeming qualities are there anymore. He is not the same. And I don't think you should delude yourself into thinking otherwise because it really bothers me. I've seen a lot of people call it love. It's not love. It's so possessive and toxic. He has some horrible lines. If you try to break up with him, for instance, you guys should look that YouTube video up as Ascended Astarian. If you try to break up with him, it's disgusting. It's horrible to hear. So please do not mistake a good feeling choice as a correct choice. Have your sexual gratification all you want with that hot ass scene. Play your evil playthrough. But remember, it's called an evil playthrough for a reason. And whether you like what you're hearing or you hate what you're hearing here today, give us a review on iTunes or leave a comment on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can now find me on the Cyberpunk Lorecast with my co-host, Toasty, where we explore the foundations of the past, the state of Night City today, and the news of the future for all things cyberpunk. I've also been guesting on his other podcast, Cyberpunked, that's Cyberpunk apostrophe D, a live play, a live red, Cyberpunk red <laughs> live play podcast. I'm losing my words. You can also find me in Scyther Audio's newest fan-made production, The Avengers, the audio drama, where you can hear me and several of our podcasting friends. You can also reach me in our Two Girls, One Ship channel on the Robots Radio Discord. And come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash twogirlsoneship. Our theme music was comprised by the ever-talented Pipe Man Studios, and our artwork was designed by the esteemed Let's Not. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, which you can come at me if you're mad at what I said today. <laughs> we also have our own two girls one ship discord server where we nerd out on all our favorite cgi significant others be sure to check our live streams on twitch on fridays at 10 30 p.m eastern time 7 30 p.m pacific time our podcast episodes release on mondays because you need a good thing on a monday so thanks for listening and remember beauty is in the eye of the controller Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora, and all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon.